the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, will the new abortion bills lead to abortion without limitations? And then Dallas Jenkins responds to what he says is the greatest criticism he receives around the chosen. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Friday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Aubrey, we've thought it's Friday for like three or four days now. I know. It's been Friday all week, but now it's finally it's now Friday. Now it's actually Friday. The irony would be if we didn't feel like today was Friday. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's a Monday. It it's a long Monday, Monday today. <laughs> Our kids having their first day of summer vacation, but it's warm. Hopefully you're looking forward to the weekend. Do you struggle when your kids get out of school? I feel like I should be on summer vacation. Definitely. I feel like I should be on summer vacation. But as the fact that we're talking not. into our microphones right now, we are not. Because why? We're adults. We are not on summer we vacation. We are 44. Yep. Yep. We're adulting. Yep. We're just going to think about that one. Yeah. Somehow we need to get into a world where they do give us summer vacation. But that is not happening. So good for our kids. <laughs> So here we, we still are. We have to pay for their summer vacation. So here we are. We're glad that you're joining us today. One of the things we find important to do on the show is to wrestle with uh, kind of the news that we see going on out there and how does it affect the church? How does it affect us as Christ followers? And I think you would agree with this. I think one of the topics that the church mm, probably needs to stand up most passionately about is around the ideas of life, the sanctity of life, abortion sure. in particular. Yeah. Uh, and I know many of our listeners out there feel very, very strongly about mm-hmm. abortion. And so with that in mind, I saw this at Christian Headlines. The, uh, the headline caught my eye. It said, abortion without limitations, 224 Democrats back bill eliminating all pro-life laws. And so when I read that headline, I thought to myself, I don't know, is that clickbait there? Is that really what's going right, on? Right, right. Let me just, just get us into it. It says a bill that would overturn hundreds of state abortion restrictions would guarantee the right to abortion without limitations. Uh, as a coalition of congressional Democrats said it was needed with Roe versus Wade under attack. The bill is known as the Women's Health Protection Act, and it would codify Roe versus Wade and legal abortion into federal law. Uh, the bill says its purpose is to permit healthcare providers to provide abortion services without limitations or requirements. Mm. So that is in the bill. The, wow. the bill's legislative findings note that nearly 500 abortion restrictions have passed on the local and state levels since 2011. Not surprisingly, pro-life groups have criticized the bill. The president of the Susan B. Anthony list said this. This egregious, deceptively named bill is the latest example of Washington Democrats' extreme abortion agenda. While most Americans want reasonable pro-life protections for unborn children, pro-abortion Democrats are moving swiftly in the opposite direction. And uh, some of the state laws that it would get rid of, 
that it would supersede our laws that restriction abortion at, quote, any point before fetal viability, laws mm. that restrict abortion after fetal, vi- fetal viability when the pregnancy would pose a risk to the pregnant patient's life or health, mm. laws that limit abortion services via telemedicine, laws requiring that abortion doctor perform specific tests or medical procedures, and it goes on and on and on. And so, Aubrey, uh, I try to be really in the middle on things. I try to be really level-headed. When I read things like this, I just get really upset and go, man, we got to kind of stand up. We've got to, uh, there's no more vulnerable, in my opinion, there's no more vulnerable uh, life than that of an unborn child. And and it is incumbent upon the church uh, who declares God as creator from the womb Uh, And I'm not one of those people who's like, it's just about abortion. But sometimes I feel like the argument is you're either about abortion or you're not about abortion, as opposed to like, I could be about abortion and other things as well. Right. Uh, But here's the here's the scary part is this bill and other bills that are making their way, uh, uh, honestly, through the Democrats in Congress. Right. Right. they are taking abortion much further than the Democrats of 20 years ago ever dreamed of taking it. Yes. So this is not even about abortion should be illegal or this should be it. There's a middle ground here, which I'm also not in favor of. But we do need to understand that there has been a move uh, to a to a view of abortion that most of the countries in the world won't sign on to and right. that the Democratic Party of the United States of America would not have signed on to a decade ago. Go read what Bill Clinton said about abortion right. as a president. Right. Uh, basically calling it a necessary evil and that we want to have as few as possible. Mm-hmm. That is no longer it. I've talked a lot when I read these things, Aubrey, they just gets my blood boiling and goes, the church uh, there's this movement to make it less about abortion. No, the church needs to take up this mantle and go, no, we've got to get into this fight. Yeah, I, I heard Ed Stetzer once say something about if you're marching in um, some of the anti-racism marches, which Kevin and I did and many of our church members did, then you also need to be marching in the anti-abortion or the pro-life marches because mm. it ultimately is the same issue, really. It's it's about protecting vulnerable people, right? And about not allowing the dehumanization of anyone to continue. Right. And I'm with you. Babies are unborn babies are literally the most vulnerable population there is. And I I, I hope this is an exaggerative article. I, I really don't believe this bill will get passed because it's so extreme. Right. But um, it, the pro-life group, uh, Live action is quoted in this article as saying that this bill would ensure that a woman can have an abortion for any reason at all through all nine months of pregnancy, which to me, that's horrific. horrific. I mean, that is now. And you know me, Brian, I am pro woman like I am all about women's empowerment. I have you are? no I, <laughs> you've never heard yep. me say that before. <laughs> this is not a woman's right No. no, no. I want to be careful because I do think where we have failed women is by not a, we haven't provided good health care. We haven't provided community. We haven't helped women who have unwanted pregnancies walk through that pregnancy well. And so the church has got to rise up in that area so that abortion is not the first option. So I want to be mm-hmm. really mindful about that. I also want to be mindful of women listening who have had an abortion that God loves you. Absolutely. There is nothing that you can do to separate um, God's love from you. And even if you have had an abortion, even if you're grieving abortion, God still loves you. And so I think sometimes that's where we can 
we can really offend women or push women away who are silently sitting in our pews and are suffering from post-abortion stress or guilt or, or, or shame. So there is love for you in Jesus' name. You are accepted Amen. in Jesus' name, okay? Amen. That said, I'm with you, Brian, that it is one of the highest callings of the church to stand up for those who can't speak for themselves. And that literally is the unborn baby. Absolutely. And, and now there's more conversations to happen here about, well, okay, then how can the church not just yell and scream, but also be part of the solution. There you like, go. I think there's greater things the church can do and we all can do. But at the very least, that doesn't negate the need to stand and scream and to stand mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and march and to stand. Right to your right to your leaders, right to your government, yes. like do the work that it takes to say you are not for this. Yes, this is one that is uh it, this, in my opinion, is not an agree to disagree one. Yeah. Like this yeah. is one that is at the heart of uh, of uh, who God has called That's us right. to be. And so That's right. I wanted to say that again as clearly as we could right from the beginning. And I think Aubrey makes a good point. Write your congressman. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I know we're running out of time here, but there, if there's an app called ResistBot, I think I've talked about it on the show before. It's literally a text app. It will text and write all of them for you. You just type in, I'm anti this bill. I'm against this bill. I don't want it to pass. It will shoot a letter to all of your representatives on your behalf. You don't even have to do the work. So get the app ResistBot. Resist. Yeah. I've never heard yeah. of that. That is fabulous. Yeah. I'm going to get that and just continually text. My, my mom does it all the time. It might be a te- <laughs> it might be a texting app. I might be describing it wrong, but search resist sure. bot. It will do the work for you. That's great. Well, that's where we're off and running here on a Friday. Coming up next, uh, crew, uh, crew. Uh, there's a division within crew over the emphasis on race. And I think this is happening a lot of places in our culture and in a lot of churches. Uh, and so Aubrey and I are going to kind of catch you up on this story from Crew, and we're going to react to it next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you joining us today. Race has been a big issue, yep. not just culturally, so it's been a huge issue culturally, but also within the church. And oftentimes the issues of the culture mirror the issues of the church. They're, uh, they go about them differently. Yeah. They might have different results, yeah. but uh, oftentimes we have the same things. And so with that in mind, there was this article that, that I, I didn't know this was an issue. And so we're reading at Christianity Today, it's talking about the parachurch ministry crew, which used to be Campus Crusade. Right. Uh, but I believe, I'm guessing they wanted to lose the crusade, the much way our alma mater, Wheaton College, That's wanted right. to lose crusaders. crusaders like, yep. Uh, and, uh, so now they went from Campus Crusade to just crew, but that's the organization that it is. And this article dropped a couple days ago and it says, uh, crew divided over emphasis on race. Within the parachurch ministry, critics allege its recent approach to diversity has relied on critical race theory and resulted in, quote, mission drift. And so this is a, it's a thousand staff members wrote a document Sharing the group's concerns and features dozens of staff and donor testimonials, uh, though a majority of them remain anonymous. Of the thousand, only 11 are cited by name. Uh, and so that's uh, you might be wondering, how big is the staff? Uh, roughly 8,000 staff members in America. And the demographics of it are 22% identify as black, indigenous, or other people of color, according okay. to the organization. So that's just some background. Yeah. Uh, of crew, uh, 
but it's very interesting. They're going, and, and, and I want to wrestle with this as pastors and just kind of also just observing what's going on around us. Because on the one hand, you do want a place like crew or churches to be wrestling with like, hey, what does it look like? You know, this kind of everything that's going on around race. How do we wrestle with that as Christians? What's our role yeah. as Christians? Yeah. And we need to be having those conversations. Absolutely. But you can also see the swing of the pendulum too far and hmm. going, hey, we're going to put such focus on race that we kind of lose the mission and the purpose of what we're at. And we, their kind of term of mission drift. And so uh, I guess I want to start broadly and just say when you read this article and you heard what was going on, um, you know, is this is this disappointing? Is this understandable? Uh, and how does it then relate to the greater church out there? Yeah. So I, I know I am in danger of being called quote unquote woke here. So <laughs> I will I will own that. OK, mm-hmm. that said, I am deeply heartbroken that 1000 Christ followers felt like they needed to write this letter. And here's why I think anytime you people are throwing around CRT, 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 it is a distraction from the actual conversation that needs to be taking place, which is racism exists. Racism is evil. Racism is demonic. Racism has been in the church for a long time. We are just finally starting to acknowledge it. And for whatever reason, the acknowledgement of it is being so, like, uh, people are really fragile, I guess. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but people are struggling with the fact that this conversation is happening. And um, then their response is to go, oh, that's CRT, that's Marxism. And I think that's a distraction. Mm. My opinion, my woke opinion, is that that's a distraction from the actual important conversations that need to take place about racism. I think that a thousand people got together and said we don't want our and I'm sure they weren't saying we don't want our organization to talk about racism or rate yeah race and racism to me that's all it says Mm -hmm. to me that says we're not going to take you seriously we're not going to listen to our staff of color we're not going to um, honor the pain that our brothers and sisters uh, again of color have dealt with in this organization and so I I'm sad that we I'm just sad I'm sad that this keeps coming up as like an excuse not to talk about racism. Honestly, that's how I, I know I probably I might feel stronger than you, but I don't know, Brian. What do you think? Well, let me throw a little wrench into this because the article does go this way. It says uh, that that there were it was not just the um, the white staff that wrote this. There were many people sure. uh, of color and they actually have said this document. Here's what it, here. Let me just give you some background. They mm-hmm. say. Uh, their concerns around the need for diversity and racial reconciliation. Hold on. They said the authors of the document say they share concerns around the need for diversity and racial reconciliation, mm-hmm. but that efforts over the past five years have actually hurt Cruz's former, quote, racial unity. Mm. Uh, the person here, Pendleton, uh, Scott Pendleton, chief of staff for Cruz Jesus Film Project. Pendleton said that some of the people of color, um, uh, some of the uh, African-American staffers who joined in the criticism were particularly vocal about their concerns. Others, though, believe that the organization's push to highlight ethnic sensitivity and inclusivity have been instrumental in growing their faith, offering small but meaningful steps towards addressing what is seen as a broader issue within crew. So it feels like there, as many places in our culture, there's this schism about what what is yeah. our role yeah. here? What yeah. should we be doing? And let's spin this. I don't want to just focus on crew because sure. you and I don't know the inner workings and what they've been doing, what their culture is like. But how about the church? 
uh, the individual churches, but as we think about even like the Southern Baptist Convention getting going and, and their conversations that are going on, how do we, and I know you've and, and your husband have thought probably more about this than I have, um, how does this, what does this conversation look like within the church? How does it maybe look different in the church yeah. than maybe the conversation going on yeah. culturally? And, and, and how do we end up with these being profitable conversations right, for the church? Right. Um, I can I can tell you from our experience mm-hmm. what we have done in trying to learn, and that's all I can share with you is our little small experience at Renewal Church, right? But we have gathered intentionally over the past year and a half, two years, with a group of diverse people, different ages, different ethnicities, to specifically have gospel-centered conversations about race and about how to fight racism. Yes. We've read books together on the topic. We've read scripture together on the topic. We've talked very personally and openly, uh, especially the folks of color in our group have shared very, very painful stories of things mm-hmm. they experienced as kids, even now. Um, uh, some of the folks that are like um, biracial have talked about that unique experience. And so I think um, that's the place you have to start in community mm. and stop arguing about whether or not this exists or doesn't exist or CRT or what, what just stop those things. Those aren't helpful. Instead be with your brothers and sisters in Christ who are diverse and just have conversations and yep. you have to um, be willing to enter a conversation. In fact, I'll just be real personal with you, Brian quickly. Yeah. Um, someone, someone decided to join that group. And they came into our group incredibly defensive, there to start a fight, there to say that we mm. were wrong, there to call people woke. And it changed the dynamic to such a point that we had to ask this person to leave because they weren't there to learn humbly. And mm. so I think that has to be our posture, especially as white people. Let's learn humbly and do it in Christian community. That's well put. I think the idea of listening is important, that not everybody needs to agree on everything. Like Some people are probably hearing the story about crew believing one thing and others are hearing this and believing other things. I would say within our local church context or within our neighborhoods or within whatever, I think what you've said there is so important. Are we willing to have the conversation and listen to people who aren't like us uh, rather than, like you said, that person coming in with an ax to grind going, I'm going to, you know, do this and, and just know that I'll, you know, critical race theory, woke Marxist, those are usually just ways to stop conversation yeah. these days. Yeah. And we just need to know that. I think as Christians who say, you know what, we're, we're, we want truth and, and, you know, as followers, we're united under something bigger. That should give us license to be able to have hard conversations yes, that's right. That's right. and be able to do that. So that's an interesting story of what's going on at Crew right now. I'm sure it's going on in many other places. We're going to go from a hard conversation to one of our favorite things that we do here each week. That is the top five. Uh, Aubrey and I each week have a top five list. This week, it's going to be this. Top five movie moments that cause you to stop and watch it every time when it comes on the TV or somewhere else. stopping movie moments. I'm excited about this one. This was a difficult one. We're going to do that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. One of the favorite things that we do on this show are the top five lists, which sounds so, uh, like, really, like, that's one of your favorite? I just it's, love They're these. so fun. They, make, they might not make other people laugh, although whenever we get feedback from people on the they show. They love the top five lists. It's never about, thank you for that deep yeah, conversation. It's right. always like... <laughs> 
I loved when you talked yeah, about ice cream. Yeah. More I feel like we need to do a call in top five at some point where we get our guests to call in and you know now, whatever the topic is, right? Now you are talking. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna we're gonna play with that one a little bit and yeah. do that. Okay. But any of the any of you who know our top five lists, you know that with it comes our producer has made just a f- fantastic open. So here's the open for our top five list. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. I always almost talk over the doo doo at the end, but <laughs> well, I didn't that time. Okay. This week, this week's top five list, I came up with this one. Very proud of this one. Okay. This is the top five movie moments that cause you to pause every time. So you're watching television. Let me set it up for people. You're on the couch. You're just going through and you go, oh, that movie's on. And Mm -hmm. I can watch the last half hour or the middle, this scene. I'm going to stop every To watch it. So you called it traffic stopping movie moment. Yeah, so it's not necessarily your favorite movie, but it is a moment that you'll always sit down. Yes, and what ends up happening is all of our lists are the end of this movie, (laughs) the end of that movie. It's actually really true. I have five and then I have two that I had to put on for uh for honorable mention. Oh see, I feel like you kind of cheat me when you do that because then there are things like, oh I would have done that. So I'm gonna throw mine back on my list for honorable mentions. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Top five Movie moments that cause you to pause and watch every time. Why don't you go first with okay. number five? Okay. My number five. You, wait, I want people to know how much you've struggled with this. I have <laughs> agonized over this because I love movies. I love movie moments. I stop and watch a lot of things. And if I don't know why I want to get all of the, I want to be balanced, the right genres and the right, you know. So <laughs> I I'm, did not think about Brian it that says way. stop overthinking it. So I'm trying to honor Brian's wisdom. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number five. Little Women, the new one, by uh, directed by Greta Gerwig. There's a scene where Amy gives this great speech to Teddy about what it means to be a woman, and he's kind of making fun of her for going after a like rich man. But she's like, "What other options do I have as a woman?" And it's so strong, and you see him kind of fall for her in the scene. And it's I would watch that again and again and again. Okay, okay. I think there's going to be themes to ours, like that you're going to see the kinds of movies that we like, or the kind of scenes we like, maybe. That's right. That's right. So number five for me. Uh, number five for me is the end, the last 30 minutes of Hoosiers. Okay, so okay. Up through the championship game, and then at the end, they kind of go back. The last, the 30 minutes. Give me the last, I could watch yeah. the whole movie anytime. But give me the last 30 minutes of Hoosiers, and we're good. And you're always going to watch it. Every time. And they win in Hoosiers? Of course they win in <laughs> okay. Hoosiers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I thought so. Yep, yep. And that's basketball? Just kidding. Oh Just gosh. kidding, Ryan. Yes. I know. Okay. My number four is also an ending. The ending of, uh, this is actually the new version, newer version of Pride and Prejudice with Matthew McFadden and Keira Knightley. He's in the rain and he's walking towards her in the field and she's running towards him and all the problems have been solved and they confess their love to each other. There is a 0% chance that by the time you're five or done that I've seen any of these movies. (laughs) (laughs) My daughters do like Little Women though, so. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, Mine, the end of, mine are all the end of this, end of that. So number four for me is the end of Usual Suspects. Oh, right. When they find out that Verbal Kings is Kaiser Soze. Yes. If you're worried that I just ruined Usual Suspects, it came out in like I mean, you should have watched it by now, right? Uh, that movie, while maybe not good for kids, is just such a... The first time you see Usual Suspects, your mind is blown. 
Uh, but oh yeah, and he's like ending. walking. He like wa- he walks. They show his feet, and d- yeah, that's a good scene. That's Perfect. a good ending. Scene. Yep, yep, that's number four. Okay, so my number three. This was hard to narrow it down because there's so many movies and there's so many scenes. But I did pick one. This is from Harry Potter, the last Harry Potter, mm. and uh, there's a scene where Harry Potter is sort of dead, not dead. It's all part of the narrative. But his whole family surrounds him, like loved ones who have passed surround him, his friends who have died surround him, and it's really, really powerful, and I just weep when I see that. Why are you here? All of you. We never left. Wonderful. Mine is number three is equally as touching. Okay. It is equally as poignant. It is equally as tear inducing. <laughs> it is the fight scene between Rocky and the Russian. <laughs> and Val Drogo. Yes. IV. I knew. I, I, wait, what's his name? Drogo? Yeah. Yeah. Ivan Drago. Ivan Drago. So really, you could have chosen yeah. any of like the montage scenes in Rocky Four. That's true. But what, the, just, I mean, if you know that he's about to fight the Russian. Yeah. The Russian towers above the American. It's a true case of David and Goliath here. I must break you. Cancel everything else you are doing. That is appointment television. We, I have three sons and a husband uh-huh. who all love Rocky, and so Drago is quoted... Yes. Drogo, Drago, I don't Drago. even know. I must constantly, break you. <laughs> yes, like yes. constantly quoted at my house. So... Uh, one of my great memories of the beginning of the pandemic. So the, the big beginning of the pandemic, you know, when we're all like, oh, I guess we get to stay home or do whatever. Yeah. Uh, my son and I watched all of, the very first week of the pandemic, watched the first four Rocky movies, one a night. Are so. you serious? <laughs> the girls watched Rocky one with us and then they were out. They yeah. Were out. Yeah. So. That's how I feel. I'm, I I don't need to watch anymore. All right. Number two. Uh, okay. This was hard for me to narrow down, but I am picking uh, Bridget Jones Diary. Um, again, almost every scene in that movie I could pick, but there's a scene at the very end where Mark Darcy leaves and she thinks he's mad, but really he's going to buy her a new diary so they can start fresh together. And it's cute and it's funny and it's all the buildup of a romantic comedy. I did tell you before that I I am actually a sucker for a good romantic comedy. We'll sit like I watched the end of Sweet Home Alabama the other day. But I was never a huge Bridget Jones fan. Oh, so. I love Bridget Jones. All right, number two for me, and this is, you might have been thinking, you got lots of sports movies. Well, not this one. I, every time, does it matter what's going on in my okay. life? I will sit and watch the courtroom scene of A Few Good Men. Oh, right. Oh, right. You, you can't, can't handle, handle the, yes, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it Epic. clear crystal? Is there any other, you know, that whole scene? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I will, every, to the point that my wife will walk in and be like, again? <laughs> I'm like, it's the courtrooms. I won't watch any of the movie anymore. But you get me into the courtroom scene of A Few Good Men, and I'm done. That's I'm a movie I that. actually remember like, this is a great movie, and I could not tell you one thing about it right now. It's so good, yeah. the courtroom scene. All right, any honorable mentions? I actually have three. I'm yeah. kind of oh, cheating good. here. I have three, too. Okay, okay so I'll go all three. Okay, uh, the fight scene from Civil War, Avengers Civil War, when they're all it's all the superheroes fighting. I saw it a Love weeks ago. that. I will yes. always watch that. Uh, the shopping scene in Pretty Woman when she goes shopping and then she goes back to the store and says, you know, big mistake, big yes. mistake. And then this is an older movie, but one of my favorite 80s movies is Pretty in Pink. And there's a scene where John Cryer playing Ducky, her best friend, just dances to this Otis Redding song in a record store. And it is so epic. I would watch that, that again good. and again okay. and again. Uh, all three of my honorable mentions are endings, as you okay. sense is all of them for me. Uh, one is the end of Tombstone. When uh, not even the end, no, it's oh. when it's when D- Val Kilmer. Mm-hmm. They all think he's about to die, but instead he goes up to meet Johnny Ringo. Yes, John and Ringo. 
you look like you've seen a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I forgot about that. That I is good. That. Uh, of course, the end of Happy Gilmore. I literally can't remember that. And he wins a golf thing. Well, yeah, but it's Adam Sandler. It's and hilarious. he falls in love. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the third honorable mention for me is the last 30 to 45 minutes of Shawshank Redemption. Oh, that's a good one. That movie is so yeah, good. Yeah, that's he, good. From when he breaks out yeah. to then when Morgan Freeman's character gets out. Yeah, and you see him on the beach later. Oh, my yeah, that's gosh, epic. That's so good. That's okay. Epic. Uh, number one. This has been hard. This has been a fun one. <laughs> yeah. Number one. Where Aubrey Sampson is sitting there, yep. no one else is home, she's yep. watching TV, what am I going to watch tonight? This comes on, Yeah, done, you're done, This Here is we go. This was a no-brainer for me. It is the moment in Avengers Endgame when Captain America, you hear, you hear over the little walkie-talkie, on your left, on your left, and he goes, Avengers, assemble. You haven't seen it yet, but all the Avengers who were snapped away come back, and it's so epic, and they win the battle, and... I ball my eyes out. I rewind it. I love it. That's that's great. So this one is a is one that I have. Uh, it causes me to grow emotional. It's also it's oh. my mix of oh. sports and parenthood and emotions and all this. I stuff. have to guesses. The point, my okay. wife, what's your guess? Rudy. No, that's not a bad okay, guess. Okay, okay. Not a bad guess. It is the end of Field of Dreams. Oh, that's such a when good When he realizes his it's his dad and they're throwing and they don't do it at all. Yes. And, uh, and uh, he just looks and his dad, who's a young man, start about to walk away. He just uh, goes, Dad? Oh. Uh, you want to have a catch? I'd like that. It all comes together. Oh, that is a solid choice, if Brian. You, if yeah. you don't get emotional to that, you yeah. have no heart. Yeah. So the very first, I know we're running late here, but the very first time that I had a catch outside with my son when he was little, little, uh, Carrie, <laughs> Carrie was out there with me and I just, I just mouthed to her, Dad, whatever catch. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Good. scene. I would watch it. Well, that one's fun. The top five movie moments that you will pause at. We would love to know. What I'm realizing is the people who comment on these on Facebook and Instagram tend to not agree with us, and they tend to disparage they us. They kind of make fun of us. So, yeah, anyway. let's let's hear. Let's hear what you would have we added. We would love to hear that. You can do that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, we're going to listen to some audio, a little pushback about some criticism he was getting from a friend of the show, Dallas Jenkins, the creator of The Chosen, uh, an audio clip kind of responding to some criticism that they have received. I found this fascinating. We're going to talk about it next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Hope you're doing well. Uh, whenever Dallas says anything or does anything, The Chosen has such a following that it just kind of blows up. And yeah. so... Uh, our producer passed this on to you and I, this video where he says it's just titled I'm firing back about one criticism. And as is the case when Dallas does stuff at the at the moment that I'm reading it right now, and I'm sure uh, it's only going to grow. It's well over 300,000 views. on YouTube. <laughs> wow. So, wow. Uh, but Dallas is is talking about a criticism he often hears from season one. And I think it really opens up to an interesting conversation about Something that people don't always agree with within the church. Let's listen to what Dallas had to say here. So Mary is triggered by an encounter with a demoniac. Uh, and what are the things that Mary struggled with, at least in the context of our show? She was assaulted. She was sexually assaulted by a Roman. Uh, her father died at a young age. She's experienced major trauma. So we have her early in the episode. 
she sees a Roman soldier and is triggered there. Then a demoniac comes, and she is very strong, and she is now a follower of Jesus, so she she doesn't get as scared as the others, and she overcomes her fear in many ways with the demoniac. And then Jesus comes and casts the demon out immediately. And it's a very disturbing, scary scene. Violent, and Mary's triggered. You know, when someone wants to be alone, when someone wants to go back to their past or struggle with a vice that they've struggled with before, uh, they're going to do it. And so some people have said, wait a minute, wasn't Jesus enough? Jesus redeemed her. Why would she do this? You're making Jesus' role in her life irrelevant if she's still going to struggle. And that I find offensive. That perspective, actually, I, I get angry at very few things. I find the, the notion that Mary Magdalene was incapable or wouldn't have sinned or wouldn't have struggled or wouldn't have backslid because Jesus had already redeemed her is an affront and an insult and offensive to the gospel, to what the Bible says, and to millions and millions and millions of people who have struggled after they've been saved. And that includes Simon Peter, that includes Paul, some of the heroes of our faith, Moses, some, some of the heroes of our faith who we consider to be icons, um, biblically and spiritually, talked about and were written about how they sinned repeatedly after their encounters with Jesus. All right, Aubrey, that criticism really centers around Mary Magdalene, who, mm -hmm. who you said in season one of The Chosen was just the thing that made you cry. Oh, I mean, that that got, I'm, I'm like, oh, I want to watch the show now. That first show with her, episode with her was just powerful. And I think one reason it's made people cry and like that that's been the spot that they've resonated with is because of her struggle, yeah. is because of her hurt. And Dallas is kind of getting at here that one of the criticisms that he has heard often is shouldn't Mary, and I'm putting words in his mouth here, or these people's mouths, shouldn't Mary Magdalene, once she met Jesus, have stopped struggling with her past, with her loss of her dad, or as Dallas talked about, sexual abuse mm -hmm, or whatever else mm -hmm. it would be? That, that when you read the Gospels, doesn't Mary's life immediately transform upon meeting Jesus, but instead he's getting pushback because in the show, she still struggles. Yeah. She goes back and forth. She's there triggered are moments, by moments. There yeah. are moments yeah. she goes back and forth. And I think this is important for a show like The Chosen, but it's even more important for real life where mm -hmm. we go, what, what does transformation look mm. like? What does sanctification look like? What mm. does healing from real abuse, uh, what, what does healing look like? What does mm -hmm. uh, the removal of shame and regret look yeah. like from pastor? All of that. Yeah. Because you read the Gospels, and sometimes it can be very linear where you're like, mm -hmm. they struggled, they met Jesus, mm -hmm. they were fine. Mm -hmm. and they, But that's not how our lives end up going. Right. And so I, I appreciate Dallas being like, no, we got to get this right. We got to push back against it. Because talk to us about why the flip side is so dangerous of like, well, Mary just changed when she met Jesus. So that was just it. It yep. was done. You know, I think the reality is we all know this. God heals in process and God heals in poof. Like both things happen. There are moments when someone's praying because their back hurts mm -hmm. and they ask the community to come pray around them and their back no longer hurts. God does that. But most of the time, our healing journeys are just that their journeys mm. where the Lord is at work building Christ likeness and healing in us over time. And especially, I mean, I can speak to victims of sexual assault. I was sexually assaulted twice as a teenager. I talk about this in my first book, Overcomer. So that's public information, but it takes time. It is so deeply rude. When someone inflicts their sin and their shame on you, mm. that takes a lot of rooting out and the Holy Spirit has a lot to do 
a lot of work to do, but it doesn't mean you're not a new creation at Christ, right? right? Like, I think that's ultimately the the conversation is, you know, we're talking about Mary on the show, but we know Mary Magdalene is a real person mm-hmm. in real biblical history. She came into contact with Jesus. He saved her. She is a new creation, period. But what we all know we are waiting. We are in the already waiting for the not yet, right? And so the journey of sanctification, like I said, is just that a journey. None of us are perfect the minute we come to Christ. None of us don't have depression or anxiety, but we have someone, a savior that we can give those things to. And I think that once we um, imply even that, hey, you came to Christ, you shouldn't be depressed anymore. You shouldn't have regret. You shouldn't struggle struggle. with past uh, abuse or things that somebody else has done to you. You shouldn't the reason that that's so dangerous is now you've just heaped shame upon that abuse survivor or that who, who <laughs> right. is like, wait, so now I'm struggling with the abuse and now I'm struggling with the fact that I'm struggling, that I'm with, struggling with the abuse. And, and it just becomes this circular thing where you just kind of go down or, you know, I think our I think churches are doing better at this now. Definitely. But the the narrative before that, that real Christians don't get depressed, you've right. got the joy of the Lord right. and this and that. And then. What's the result of that? People who are legitimately depressed end up feeling more depressed because mm-hmm. they shouldn't. They're a bad Christian. Right. And and I don't see that in Scripture. Here's another example. If you want to be like, well, I've never faced abuse or this or that. Mm-hmm. So what's it look like? Let's just take the Apostle Peter. Great right? example. Yeah. The Apostle Peter is uh, he is the greatest uh apologist for Jesus mm-hmm. at times. He's the one who stands by him. He's mm-hmm. the one who fights for him. Yeah. He's right by his side. He's also then the one who uh, betrays him. Yep. He's the one who cuts off a guy's ear. Yep. He's the one to whom Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Yep. Like there's this there's this up and downness to Peter that I think a lot of us resonate to because we go, okay, if Jesus's best friend can be like that, what <laughs> right, about me? Right. And, Peter did not meet Jesus and all of a sudden become this kind of calm, measured. Perfect, angelic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like we're still whole people and we can't put our, I mean, it almost ends up putting our salvation in our own good works, mm-hmm. right? Like if I'm perfect, if I don't struggle, then I'm really saved. And as we all know, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that in spite of our sin, in spite of our struggles, in spite of our, yes. and in the middle of them, not even in spite of them, in the middle of them. That we have a Savior who has taken all of that on on himself. That's right. And he carries it so we don't have to. And so I think if you're out there and struggling, know that that's okay. Yeah, there you uh, go. Allow that to draw you to prayer, to community. Uh, like, again, the whole Peter thing. We preach that really well. Like, aren't you all glad that Peter is this example? He's the rock of the church. <laughs> yeah. But yet he's this. But we don't treat each other or ourselves mm, that way yeah. with that same kind of grace and long-term view. Like, Jesus would, looked at Peter and was like, yeah, I see this, you know, coming. That's good. That's but good. But we don't seem to do that for each other. So I found that I'm thankful for the stuff that Dallas shared there. Yeah, that's great. Love for you to give it a listen. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, uh, the new president of Taylor University uh, had some interesting and good stuff to say. We want to look at uh, some of those quotes and reflect on them next year on the Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, what does one author mean when he says we live in hinge moments? And then we're going to close out the show hearing from Pastor Derwin Gray. You're listening to The Common Good.
everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. Aubrey, we're, we're going to talk about a, a new book that came out by the president, the new president of Taylor University. This takes a lot for you and I. We're both Wheaton grads, but I feel like we can appreciate, we can appreciate Taylor. Taylor. You know, what, you know the old joke, what do, what, do, uh, what do Wheaton grads call Taylor? I don't know the joke. What Am is I going to get myself in trouble here? Yes. Yeah, no, keep saying it, Brian. Lots yeah. of people are listening from Taylor, and you're about to get in a lot of trouble, so say it. Yeah, fallback. <laughs> oh! oh! <laughs> Safety school. <laughs> Brian. Just kidding. Some of my best You're friends are You're about to get canceled Taylor. by Taylor. <laughs> oh, there my, I, was, I was right on their short list for commencement <laughs> addresses, right? I kid. Uh, Taylor is a wonderful, wonderful school. Many of my good friends have come out of Taylor University, but their new president is a man by the name of uh, the incoming president, uh, Michael Lindsay. I believe I might get this wrong. I believe Michael Lindsay was the president of Gordon. Gordon, He was. uh, But now he is moving to Taylor. Uh, But he has also written a book. uh, And and they were talking. He was talking and he uses this interesting phrase. And then I want you to tell us a little bit about it in this interview of Christianity Mm -hmm. Today. He uses this phrase hinge moments that we're in the hinge moment. And what does that look like that life is full of hinge moments? And so why don't you explain that a little bit, what Michael Lindsay's talking about? Yeah, what he talks about is that there are big moments in life, right? You ask someone to get you ask someone to marry you, you get married, a spouse is diagnosed with an illness, etc. Those are really, really um, powerful moments. But what he argues is it's not so much those moments, it's Uh, the way life plays out because of them. Mm. And as we pass from one hinge moment to the other, those are sort of the the big things that the Lord uses in our lives. And interestingly, he talks about seven stages of transition or hinge moments, discernment, anticipation, intersection, landing, integration, inspiration, and realization. I know we won't break all of those down, but it's really kind of an interesting concept. Yeah, and and it's weird to think about because have you ever looked back on your life and been like, if I'd made that one choice differently? Mm. And obviously we believe in God's providence as well, and that's where these come together because I remember messing with one of my kids once, and I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, I grew up on the East Coast. Like, if I didn't go to Wheaton, Mm -hmm. I don't know where I would have ever met your mother. And they were like, wait, wait, but what does that mean? I'm like, just, I did meet your mother. (laughs) Right, but I did (laughs) meet your mom. You're alive. It's okay. You can see their eyes going, wait, if you didn't meet mom. Mm -hmm. Because I grew up in New Jersey. Carrie grew up in Wisconsin. There was no other uh, spot for us to meet outside of God's providence. I understand that. But uh, it's interesting. And uh, uh, this idea of the hinge moments, that there uh, there are these big moments that kind of direct uh, your path Uh and, and you know, I, I think it's it's interesting not just to look back, but to kind of look forward. Like, what are these moments in my life that are going to kind of, yeah. you know, take me this way, take me that way? Yeah. And, and a lot of times they're unexpected, but sometimes you can see them coming. Yeah, I have in the past done like a timeline of my life, which mm-hmm. I'm sure lots of our listeners have done. If you haven't, I would highly recommend doing it where you sort of like take a bird's eye view of your life and you can do different seasons or different, you know, stages And you look at good moments, bad moments, or even themes you see. Like, what are common things God has done? And what you do find, interestingly, is that, like, the Lord does take seasons that shape us. And then it seems like the door opens for the next season. And an event happens, and you see how the Lord was in that. And you can look back and see God's hand really, really evidently. But I do sometimes think you have to go, okay, either all of life is a happy accident, and you and Carrie just happened to meet, and that worked out well. 
or God is in control exactly. and on the throne. And yes. I think ultimately that's really an act of faith to say, I'm choosing to believe God is yes. faithful and watching over my life because I've seen these themes or I've, I've seen the way things have played out and I could not have written that narrative for myself. Absolutely. And one of the major hinge moments is this gets at, at your book that you, not your last book that you wrote, not the new one coming out, mm-hmm. but it's this idea of pain. Yeah. He's asked, we often wish we could know God's whole plan for our lives right now. But what do you think would happen if we did? He can, he says this. I just want you to hear this. He says, I can say from my own journey that if I had known ahead of time all of the challenges, obstacles, and disappointments I would experience in my adult life, there is no way I would have made the same choices. I would have been far more risk averse. But of course, that would have meant missing out on the upside of all those setbacks, the many moments of extraordinary dem- redemption and blessing. He goes on to talk about his special needs daughter mm. and all of this stuff. I know, again, you wrote about it and in, a, in a couple of your books, and I've talked about it before here on the show, that, that we all, if we look back, we have these, uh, you talked about making kind of like the timeline of your life yeah. or the journey. So many of the major moments of our life are also the most painful moments. Absolutely. That if we knew ahead of time, hey, you know, <laughs> you guys are going to have this or this is going to happen to you, you'd be like, I am running I'm the out. other way. Yeah. And there's so many moments in my life, and people can understand this out there, where I'm like, I don't ever want to go through that again. Mm -hmm. But then if you ask me what were the moments in life that most molded me, crafted me, or where I learned the most or was most closely connected to God, it's those moments. Isn't that interesting? And so that becomes the difficult thing that these hinge moments are often pain moments, not exclusively at all. But they are often pain moments where God, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis says, right, he whispers in our pleasures, but he, you know, God's megaphone, essentially, I'm messing that line up, but it's essentially pain is God's megaphone. Yeah. Uh, and so these hinge moments become these moments that we would never choose to go into, right. but that do a lot of shaping in our lives. Yeah, I feel like the you hate to say this, but it seems like even biblically and then exper- experientially and then historically, our suffering moments are where our Christ likeness is developed period. The Bible just says that again and again and again. And so, I mean, the incredible thing about that is that we have a God who can take the most horrific things we've ever walked through and somehow redeem them and make them beautiful. And like you said, you look back and you go, Oh, I knew God there really powerfully and tangibly and intimately. I wouldn't trade that for the world. Only God could do that, right? right? Because otherwise, those things will just drive you to like, I'm out. I don't want to have it. I don't want to keep going here. But in the Lord's hands, these horrific things really become, there's treasures there. That's the amazing thing. When I look back, people have asked, when's the time that you quote unquote felt closest to God? It's like, yeah, it's probably when my wife and I went through multiple miscarriages. Mm. But at the same time, I would never want to go through that again. Right, right. But God met us there. And and you wrote a book about it, right? Like you've got these moments in life where you're going, I mean, God was deep. God was present. That we often in our our pleasures or in our times of prosperity, uh, we don't see that because we just kind of like, it's not God's fault. We kind of like, whatever, I'm doing fine. I'm I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. And it's kind of that desperation that leads to that. And so I'm grateful for Michael Lindsay here. As mm-hmm. we said, he's the incoming president of Taylor University. I, I feel badly what I said about Taylor. 
Do you? I do. Is that like Christian guilt or real guilt or fake guilt? What's happening over there? You're fine, Brian. It's okay. It's probably patronizing fake guilt. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this is a hinge moment for you, Brian, and you need to take it to the Lord and ask him to help you with your attitude about Taylor. Anyone anyone who went to Taylor University, anyone named Taylor. (laughs) You're apologizing Anyone who who is a Taylor uh, is... I I apologize. You're too late, right? It's out there. (laughs) Anyway, a great article there. I would encourage you uh, to read it. His new book is called Hinge Moments, Making the Most of Life's Transitions. Coming up next, somebody who is, I would say, vehemently anti-President Biden when it comes to policies and the things he does. He wrote at the Christian Headlines uh, that it's, in fact, President Biden's stutter that uh, that has taught him a lot about the image of God and how to love people that you, maybe you really disagree with. Hmm. I found this to be an interesting uh, article, especially because of who wrote it. We're going to look at that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. All right, so at uh, Christian Headlines, they've got the Breakpoint commentary. Uh, Breakpoint is written by John Stone Street. John Stone Street is the president of the Colson Center. But in this week, he had somebody else write. Uh, this person's name is Gerald McDermott. Gerald McDermott is the author of a very interesting book called Famous Stutterers. 12 inspiring people who achieved great things while struggling hmm. with an impediment. And you might ask, why did he write? That seems like an awfully specific it book. It really does. Well, what you're going to r- r- learn about in this blog is that Gerald McDermott has suffered with, with stuttering himself. Okay, okay. And uh, here's the, uh, the way he frames it. He frames it around President Biden. I had forgotten about the fact that President Biden has always struggled with stuttering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's very open about it. You might remember on the campaign trail that President Biden reached out to a kid who was struggling with stuttering. And yeah. it was so such a sweet moment yeah. uh, where he just encouraged this kid. He gave him his phone number, like all of this kind of that. stuff. That's oh, so yeah, nice. yeah. It was it was really nice. So McDermott, let me give you the background. And then I think he points out something that is we don't get enough. And I think is really important. Uh, McDermott says. He goes to painstaking lengths to say, I disagree with just about President Biden on everything. Like this guy is clearly not a Biden administration he fan, is not yeah. putting a Joe Biden sign in his yard. Yeah. Like he's not putting the bumper sticker on his car. He is clearly anti Biden and, and voices it about policies. And he makes some comments about him in this article that you're like, oh, you've got like a lot of emotion around yeah. this. But he says something really interesting because he starts talking about kind of loving your enemies, quote unquote, or the Imago Dei. And, and he says this, how can I love the man when I think he's presiding happily over the destruction of little human beings and the meltdown of our republic? There's his okay. take on Got Joe it. Biden. Got it. Well, I can remember Jesus's command to love my political and ideological. Uh, he puts in parentheses enemies hmm. recognizing Biden's struggle with the same demon that has afflicted me helps me understand how to follow the Apostle Paul's admonition to, quote, think of others as better of yourself, better than yourself. Philippians chapter two, my own speech therapy as an adult at a world class facility gave me a breakthrough that Biden has apparently not been able to enjoy Yet he has been willing to expose his affliction to the world in ways I might never have tolerated. I have to give him credit 
for that. Wow. And he goes on earlier in the article and later to talk about how the the image of God, even in the midst of an impediment and how that shapes. Wow. I found this to be a very helpful article in the culture that we live mm-hmm. in, because like we said, this person is not only really anti-Biden, but probably is making some, he's probably known for being anti-Biden, but right, he says, how right. can I, he, he's wrestling with, how can I live out loving my neighbor or my enemy here, political and ideological, mm-hmm. uh, and using the, his his shared experience of struggling with stuttering yeah. to go, I can empathize with him, I can love him while I disagree with yeah. him. Uh, it feels like if we could grow in this sort of empathy mm-hmm. culturally, but really, I'm more concerned here about the church as Christ followers. If we could grow in this sort of empathy, so much of our culture, don't you think, would change? I think, yeah, this is a really powerful example of disagreeing with someone while honoring their shared humanity, right? While yeah. respecting the fact that they are an image bearer of God and Finding something in common that feels like weakness for both of them, I think, is is a one really powerful way to do that. Because um, then you can be your heart opens up, right, with That's compassion, right. with empathy, and then you go, "Oh wait, I may disagree with a lot of decisions this person has made, but we have both walked this really hard journey together, mm-hmm. and um, therefore there's some commonality that I can't deny." And you know, I know sometimes we don't always find that we have the exact same struggle as someone else, like in this situation. That's right. But we can disagree with people and just know, like, hey, they're doing the best they can to hang on and survive and thrive. I'm doing the best I can to yeah. hang on and survive and thrive. So isn't that enough to say, hey, I disagree with you. I want this to end, et cetera, et cetera. But I am willing to honor and respect this thing I see in you or this part about you. I, I think this is a powerful example. One of the hard parts of social media is uh, the removal of the personal, mm-hmm. right? Like I can just attack you in ways that I would never attack you in person, right? Totally. Or, uh, I can care. I could choose to not care about anything about you uh, as a person because you're just this social media, whatever, just this presence. Uh, and and that's what happens, obviously, in politics. It happens in in all sorts of different places. But he earlier in this in this article references the importance of the image of God. That, mm. that what does it change when I look at the person that I disagree with the most and still go, but they're created in the image right, of God. Right. They might not be following Jesus. They might not be whatever, but but they're created in God's image. And therefore, that's where their value comes, not in whether or not they are Republican or Democrat. Yeah. Or e- I mean, even whether or not they're following Jesus at this moment. Right. And so uh, help people understand better. It's it's you and I as pastors, we talk about a lot. So we assume people know it. But the whole concept of the Imago Dei. The mm. image of God being so foundational to all of this. Yeah, we do. I, I do feel like as pastors, we throw out that phrase a lot, Imago Dei, but not everyone knows. It's a it's a Latin phrase that, like Brian said, literally means the image of God. And the idea theologically, it's found in Genesis, it's repeated all the way through Revelation, is that God created each and every person mm-hmm. with his image and that we bear that image collectively. So together as humanity, we actually better reflect parts of God. And this is why we always, at least I, I think you do too, Brian, as a pastor, we do too. You you call people to be in relationship with right. those that you're different from because we can learn about God's glory, yeah. God's multifaceted glory from one another. Like Brian reflects God's glory differently than I do mm-hmm. 
but together we reflect a better picture of who God is. And I reflect a better picture, or my neighbor reflects a different picture of who God is. And so as I get to know them, I learn things about God and I seek God's glory. And anyway, the image of God is basically the foundation to go. Every single person was born with inherited dignity, Mm. period, Mm -hmm. period, period, period. And so we have to treat each other like the image bearers that we are. Absolutely. I love how he ends because like we said, this guy, Gerald McDermott, clearly doesn't agree politically mm-hmm. with President Biden. Yep. Uh, and, and he owns that in here, but says, but I, but I empathize with him. And this gives me, uh, oh man, this, I do, I find this powerful. He ends this way. So I have sympathy for Biden's struggle and admire his determination to plow ahead. At the same time, I hope his policies are frustrating. <laughs> like, there you go. I like that. That's not like a... That, that is actually how it should be. Those yeah. are not opposites. You can hold that tension and go, I hope that you, you know, your policies don't work, but mm-hmm. man, I'm going to love for you and pray for you and, and empathize yeah. with you. It's really beautiful. If we could be that, we'd be less social media driven. We'd be more civil, like we talked earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it would, uh, we'd be living in a better place. Well, coming up next, Simone Biles. One of the greatest athletes that exists Amazing. right now in our world. She had some interesting things to say. We're going to talk about Simone Biles next year on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian from Gymnastics. Gymnastics. Do you enjoy watching gymnastics? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty cool. Some, some of the categories like you know i like when they're on the rings i like when they're on the bar it is a bar thank you like what is the term for that the bar bar. the uneven Uh, bars the high bar yeah i like you know the dances the rhythm rhythmic gymnastics right now (laughs) uh yes no the pummel horse horse. yeah it's impressive i mean it's all impressive they are strong fierce athletes those gymnasts my, that is a hundred percent true you want to one of my problems with gymnastics oh do in i watching it like in watching it what's that is it's it's so subjective and so you don't really know like i don't watch enough gymnastics to go that person should have won like it's judged right All i don't our, think it's subjective though because i think they have certain marks they have to miss but hit. we don't understand those and so that's true like when we're watching a basketball game uh-huh I know exactly how the score works. I know exactly yeah, how the clock works. Yeah. And I know who wins baseball, football. I, it's the same thing with boxing. If they don't get knocked out, I don't know those random people next to the, they get to judge it. I don't know. Judging sports I have trouble with. Okay, gotcha. But it, maybe if you knew more about gymnastics, you would go, oh, they just landed that XYZ. Sure. That it's, deserves this many points. It's also my problem. My wife loves to watch figure skating. And she gets mad at me because I watch it to hope people fall. And so she... <laughs> Because it's the same thing. It's like, oh, they landed that. Looked like a cool move. And yeah. then sometimes, like, someone will look like they did a perfect routine, but someone else will kind of stumble. But the stumble person won because it was a harder routine. And yeah, I'm like, I yeah. Don't get it. Yeah. Anyway, undou- undoubtedly the best gymnast currently, but probably ever in, right. in female in gymnastics, in women's like gymnastics, mm-hmm. is Simone Biles. Yes. Simone Biles the other day won her seventh U.S. title. Unbelievable. And she is as heavy a favorite as there's ever been to win whatever gold medals she right. wants at the upcoming right. Olympics. I mean, a seven-time winner of anything. Isn't is that unbelievable? unbelievable? She is outstanding. So she has won. That that happened, I don't know, earlier this week where she won the seventh U.S. title. And now it'll be on to Olympic trials and the Olympics in, in Tokyo this summer. 
Uh, but Simone Biles had some interesting things, what you found to be encouraging things mm-hmm. to say. So let's listen to these. And then uh, coming out of it, I'll let you respond because you were the one who said, oh, this is kind of interesting. So let's listen to what Simone Biles had to say. It's really emotional, especially going into my second time doing um, an Olympic run. It's really crazy, and I appreciate everyone that's come out to watch and support us, especially after the year we've had. But seriously, though, what has it meant to you to be able to share all of this with so many of your teammates and your good friends? It's meant the world, especially having the younger ones to kind of guide through the way. I've been here for so long, so to be a mentor for them has meant everything for me and to share these accomplishments and these goals. You have often said that your best memories come from when you're having fun. Yes. Being able to be here again with all of those teammates, how yeah. much fun is this? And what will you remember most from these championships? Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun, but it's been a lot of stress, too, because there is not only me. There are six of us that we brought, but it, we've just had so much fun. So what did you say to Jordan? We saw you. She was so emotional after her last routine. What did you say to her? Yeah, I told her that she had done it and she belongs to be here. And we're going to go to trials and do the exact same thing because this is what we've trained for. So I'm happy she got to go out there and show the world what she's capable of because she deserves it. So what I love about that is one, I mean, just the emotion that she says, yes, it's emotional. I just won my seventh title. But more than that, that she was talking about leading the younger gymnast or the, mm-hmm. the gymnast to follow her, to set goals and to uh, make their dreams come true and to work hard. And, and I feel like that's always such an inspiring example to see someone who is clearly so skilled and so gifted and so, I mean, has worked so hard but that she's not all about herself, right? She's mm-hmm. thinking about the team of gymnasts that follow her and how to set them up for success. And to me, that's the mark of a good leader, right? Yes. Ultimately, leadership, it's not about you. It's about building up those you lead. And I, I, I don't know. I just think it's very inspiring to remember, like even if you're at the top of your game, you're really not making a difference if you're not pouring into those that are coming behind that's you. That's good. And think about being on the team. Like, these other gymnasts on the team are the best of the best of mm-hmm. the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And they've got to be terrified the first time they're around Simone. I mean, Simone Biles is literally doing things right now that have never been done. She did something on the, the vault the other day, I think it was, uh, in a practice. And there was like this video of it. And people were just like, no, you don't understand. This has literally never been done. And she's doing it. So, the point being, she's changing the game. She, that's yeah. she's even beyond the Michael yeah. Jordan of gymnastics, yeah. and that's always the thing we say, right? The Michael Jordan right. of this or this. She's <laughs> now people beyond. are going to say the Simone Biles of whatever. Exactly. Yeah, and so it does make you wonder, like, what if she were arrogant and a jerk about it? And this, that, mm. what would the other teammates feel like? Like, I'm not as I will never be as good as her. This, that, but, but, like the leader, which she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, is going to kind of set the tone. Uh, and, and so, yeah. um, you know, like you said, she's like, it's, does it, it's not even worthwhile if I'm not bringing the other people along. If I'm not helping them, uh, you know, understand how their strengths. If yeah. I'm not celebrating it. This is what like, the idea of celebrating. If you're her, it would be really easy to be just like, celebrate me. I mean, but I'm awesome. I'm the boss of gym- gymnastics. I'm the bo- gymnastics <laughs> bomb. And so... I do think you're a pastor. I'm a pastor. There's business leaders out there uh-huh. listening, whatever else to help us understand more. It really is a good leadership really is about not just empowering, but like coming alongside those behind you and, and watching them flourish. Right. And, and I think helping them flourish, right? Like, like if you get to a certain 
point in your leadership or in your walk with Christ or, or whatever it is that you're like, oh, wait, I've learned some things that I can actually help the next generation be raised up and empowered. And then I can celebrate them. Like then I think really you're thinking long term. You're you're thinking about, um, again, building up those behind you and you're not self-absorbed. Like mm-hmm. you realize that there's a bigger picture out there besides just you. And I, I feel like this is this matters in the church when we think about discipleship too, because we, you know, we keep hearing about the young generation is leaving the rise of the nuns and all of that. But I wonder if that's the young generation's problem or if it's that we have not picked up our mantle well as mentored and like passed it on Mm -hmm. to the next generation in a way that makes them want to stay and want to flourish. Like, I just wonder if we have sort of taken off that mantle of mentorship and not considered how we can pour into the next generation, or it doesn't have to be the next generation, but like those who are coming up behind yeah, you. Yeah. And this just feels like an important thing to remember that if you're leading anything or if you have influence in any way, shape or form in whatever field you're in, that it can't just be about you and your accomplishments. It has to be about pouring into others. Yeah. There's a great line. Remember the movie? Of course you remember the movie. Remember the Titans? Mm hmm. I love that movie. There's a part in Remember the Titans where there are the two main characters, the two linebackers, right? Mm-hmm. One's African-American, one is white. And that's yeah. the whole point of the story. How do these two right. schools right. kind of come together? And, uh, and and the one is Gary Bertrier is getting on the other guy like, ah, we, we got to get. And, and the guy, I forget the other guy's name. He looks at Gary and he says, he says very simply, he says, attitude reflects leadership. Hmm. He says attitude reflects leadership. And I remember hearing that and just going, okay, like as leaders, we can like pound our fist. What's wrong with these people? What's this? The attitude of your organization, the performance of your organization that is a reflect, not completely, but it's a reflection of your leadership or other people who are leading the organization. I think as leaders, you have to look in the mirror first and go. All right. What is my frustrations about all my organization say about me and my leadership? Mm-hmm. And I think those are the hard questions to ask. So I uh, thought that was good. Follow Simone Biles I here mean, as the Olympics come. It's going to be fun to watch. Man, she's really impressive. Well, coming up next, I want to end the show today talking, hearing a, a powerful word from someone who's been on the show before, a pastor, author, former NFL player by the name of Derwin Gray. There was a, a clip that he had from uh uh, from a sermon of his that was kind of going around Twitter the other day, and, and I think you'll see why. We're going to listen to those words from Derwin Gray next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm, and we always like to end the show with some encouragement, mm-hmm. some inspiration, sometimes some challenge, and we're going to get that from a pastor here by the name of Derwin Gray. Derwin's been on the show before. Uh, he is an ex-NFL player who now leads a really big church, North Carolina, I think, Transformation Church. Uh, tell us really briefly, tell us your funny Derwin Gray story. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll try to be quick. I was in an airport a few years ago and I sit down by this, you know, pretty big black guy and his wife, who I didn't know was his wife at the time. And he's talking about church planting. Well, I'm in church planting. And so I just sort of lean over like, hey, sir, I, you know, I'm not trying to eavesdrop, but my husband and I are church planters. And I just over heard you talking about church planting and he's so kind and generous. And I meet his wife and... We talk a little about church planning. We have some mutual friends. I get home. We get on the plane. Of course, we have to turn off our phones. I get home. I'm I'm actually in the airport, and I pull up 
his name and i'm like oh this is like a famous dude derwin great he's an nfl player like you said former nfl player he leads a massive multi-ethnic church and he just i mean it goes to show he was so kind to this rando in the airport but had i known who he was i would not have been so bold to approach that's so funny we're gonna try to have derwin on again hopefully we can get to him he's he's got a new book out he's uh he speaks regularly about the multi-ethnic church mm-hmm. and kind of God's design for humanity. And it's just, it's powerful. And so we are looking forward to hopefully talking to him again. You said he, uh, he, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? You're so nice to Endorsed even bring this up. Yeah. My next book that's coming out. I'm no, so and he wrote old, an endorsement for yeah. Good. Thank He wrote you an endorsement. Yeah. It was very generous. I'll promise her next book. I will be able to write an endorsement for. So I'm looking forward we'll to that. We'll see. We'll see, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Here. You can endorse my next book as well. There we go. I'll write the forward for your next book, Brian. (laughs) That'll be our little deal. I'm going to win out on that one because, yes, uh, I hardly read books these days. I want to endorse them. So why are we talking about Derwin Gray? He had something really powerful and inspirational to say. This is two minutes long from a sermon that he did. I want you to picture for part of this, he's wearing boxing gloves. And I just love that. You and I were talking about preachers who don't use notes and just walk around. That's Derwin Gray. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Uh, So I want you to hear this. And then we're going to end the show by reflecting on this. Let's listen to Derwin Gray. For some reason over the last, like, I would say 30 years, it's like we need to protect Jesus. So I'm going to put on my gloves and you know what? A presidential candidate can destroy the Bible. Y'all remember that one? I'm like, hold on. So the church has lasted longer than Nero, longer than the medieval uh, uh, times. And then all of a sudden, a politician in 2021 is going to destroy Christianity and the Bible. Is our God that puny? Is our God that weak? So you know what? Man, we had better put on our gloves and we got to fight the culture. We got to jab the culture. We got to jab the culture. See, I don't get to do this anymore because I'm a pastor, but there's a lot of rage up in the brother and I just can't get it out because I can't tackle nobody. I still want to do it even though my back won't let me, but even just, but this is the way we want to protect Jesus. Oh, we got to protect him from the liberals. We got to protect him from the communists. We got to protect him from the capitalists. We got to protect him and protect him. And God is like, you do know I rose from the dead, right? <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, you do know that every star you see, 330 million in our galaxy, and there's 330 million galaxies that we know, I protected them all. I walked on the water. I rose from the dead. I died on the cross. I'm the king of kings. So listen, take off your little gloves. Take them off. Take off your little gloves and let's do this instead. Ephesians 4.2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So we hear a lot about the culture wars, right? We hear a lot about, but but that idea, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. That, that we try to protect Jesus, right? Uh-huh. We try to, we've got to stand up and we've got to fight. And Derwin says, no, Jesus has done okay for himself <laughs> through Nero and the medieval times right. and the enlightenment and all of this stuff. And Derwin wants to point us to something better. But what about that whole picture of the boxing gloves and I got to fight. I got to fight the liberals and the communists yeah. and the capitalists and whoever else. And, I, you know, uh, the Muslims and these people. I got to fight people. To defend God. Right. Yeah. And so how do we 
yeah, talk to us about how we do that. Like where we so often move towards fighting. I mean, that that this was a really interesting perspective, like you said, that I hadn't thought about before. But it does kind of, if you think about it, it it seems like like people are like, oh, you know, poor little Jesus, he just can't take care of himself. So yes. I'm going to, and that that was brand new for me to think about. But we, of course, we fight about whatever side you're on. The fact that we even have sides, you know, <laughs> and we all know what we're talking about when we say that we fight online. Or we fight in person. You can't go to a family event now without there being some type of political argument, it seems like. And it is it is interesting when you step back and think, am I doing this because I actually really passionately care about this issue? Or is it because I think it's my holy cause to mm-hmm. defend God? And mm-hmm. I love what Derwin's saying. Like, God's good. You know, we just got to love people. And yeah. I don't think he would say, don't speak truth. Right. I mean, that's not what this conversation is. It's just the way we have these conversations. What did you think about it? I think you bring up the, the valid point there. It, this is He's not saying, if you follow Derwin Gray on Twitter, you know he has opinions yeah. and he's going to fight. Yeah. This doesn't mean we don't fight for truth. This doesn't mean we don't you know boldly proclaim mm-hmm. the gospel. This doesn't mean any of that stuff. But I think his point is, what's our posture? Right. Like, hey, if I don't fight for Jesus here, Jesus is going to get knocked out right. to use the imagery some more. Yeah, like, it's so good. Oh, it's finally liberalism is going to take him out. Right. So we've got to fight. No, right. uh, well, there's things in liberalism or conservatism or whatever we can stand up against Certainly. and push back against. Certainly. But not for the sake of saving Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is going to be okay. And right. Jesus said his church is going to stand. Like, yeah. it's going to be okay. And so, therefore, I think it's a great way to end the show. He turns to Ephesians 2 and says, gentleness, right? Mm. Respect, humility, mm. and, and to love people. And again, that doesn't mean we don't stand up for what is right or wrong or true or false or whatever else. But it's about posture here. Yeah. And I think Derwin is saying, Pastor Gray is saying, we need to reclaim a posture that says, I'm going to love people. Right, I'm going right. to treat them differently. Right. I'm going to show civility, if right. you will, in even in when I disagree, as opposed yeah. to I'm going to put my gloves on and yeah. I'm going to go to war with people yeah. because Jesus needs my protection. I think those are very different. I felt like another thing he sort of hinted at, too, was like a fear, like, I'm afraid this president is going to take my Bible away. I'm mm-hmm. afraid things are going to. And so because of your fear we lash out with those boxing gloves. And so I feel like another thing he's calling people to is, hey, God is sovereign. God Mm. is powerful. God overcame the grave. He overcame the enemy. He holds all of the galaxies and they're safe. And so we can step back and trust that things will work out. Like it will be okay. It doesn't mean we won't have trials. We know we're going to have trials. doesn't mean we won't have hardship. We know we're going to have hardship. But that we can trust at the end, like God is winning this thing. And so uh, our job is to love our neighbors, love our enemies, love strangers so that they come to know Jesus. That's right. So a good word there uh, from Pastor Derwin Gray uh, on Twitter from one of his sermons. I'd encourage you to go watch it. You can follow Derwin Gray. Just put in his name. Uh, Again, it's such a unique guy. He's a ex-football player who came to Christ Mm -hmm. while in the NFL and then got called into ministry and now is leading a thriving, big, multi-ethnic church in North Carolina called Transformation Church. And is my airport friend. And is your <laughs> airport friend and endorsed your book. And right. so uh, thankful for him. Hopefully we'll have him on again. Wanted to leave that with you today as some inspiration uh, about kind of your posture towards the culture and towards the world. Well, we're glad that you joined us today. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.